everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all the latest and greatest news of the week. As you can imagine, during the winter pause, there is not a whole lot of game action going on. Luckily, though, for Bayern Munich and the German national team, there have been quite a few stories that have captured the minds of fans out there. So we're going to discuss some of those, but man, it has been in a weird way, a little bit nice to have a break from the day-to-day grind with Bayern Munich in terms of the ups and downs and game discussions. It's been a pretty hectic few months. Uh, of course, if you date back to last season, there's been so much change. When you talk about losing a coach, some front office members, having a huge transfer period in the summer, the ups and downs at the beginning of the season, and just the overall oddness that this team has such a good record. But it leaves you feeling a little bit uneven about how things went and how they have played. You know, the a win is a win crowd is it, it's it's there and it's legitimate. Like it's a good way to, to perceive things that the team is what its record is. I think it was, uh, you know, Bill Parcells who said you are what your record says you are. So Bayern Munich has been able to go through they swept through the Champions League. They've had a strong Bundesliga start. They did flame out in the Pokal. But overall, it's been a very successful period for Bayern Munich, even if it hasn't always looked great. And I think that's where I am right now, where I, I like the end result. I like what's been there. But watching the games and seeing how it's played out and the interactions between some of the players and the manager and some of the stories that have been out there, it leaves me a little bit uneasy to think that this team is going to be well-equipped to win the Champions League later this season. The Bundesliga, of course, is a little bit separate of a matter. Bayer Leverkusen has looked really, really strong. They do not, however, have the overall talent level and experience that Bayern Munich has, so I would expect that to even out. But it does worry me about the Champions League. I do sit here and think about that and how Bayern would match up with Man City or Real Madrid, and I'm not quite sure that they're ready for those two teams, but... If you ask me, those two teams are just head and shoulders above everyone else right now. So Bayern Munich's got its work cut out for it. And of course, the January transfer window will play a key role in that. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But one of the stories I wanted to start with was Joshua Kimmich. And a couple of weeks back, we talked about his rise and fall at Bayern Munich, how he went from this really prodigious youngster who everyone loved and admired. He was versatile. He had this really never say die attitude. He was fiery. Everyone loved him to a player who some fans are ready to chase out of town. And it's a very weird transformation. Uh, we, you know, we talked really in depth about that, but with Kimmich, I think what we're seeing now, and there was a recent story that said that Byron is more open to selling him than they were in the past. It's very interesting because he's at a point in his career at 28, where he has to make a decision where his next contract is going to carry him through what is likely the end of his prime. So you would think it would be a four-year deal. He'll be 32 at the end of this contract that he gets next. And at that point, Bayern Munich or whatever club has, has him will have to make a very important decision. And Kimmich himself is going to have to have some expectations of his own. Is he going to be able to be the same player at 32 or 33 whenever that contract ends as he is at 28 or 29? And I think that's a big question for Kimmich. It's a big question for clubs as well. And I think that's where Bayern Munich is starting to feel things out because I don't think the club is quite like the way that Kimmich has performed. But when we talk about the club, 
You have to define the club. Who is the club? Is the club Christoph Freund? Is it Jan Christian Driesen? Is it Herbert Heiner? Or is it Thomas Tuchel? Who is pushing the buttons to get this out there? The club is open to selling Kimmich. Who wants him gone? Potentially, maybe not definitely, but who would be open to selling him? And all the signs for me point back to Tuchel. Tuchel from the get-go has has done some odd things with Kimmich. Now, one, Kimmich was a, an untouchable figure. No one, not even Hansi Flick with all the clout that he had, would bench Kimmich or not play Kimmich when Kimmich clearly needed a rest. But Tuchel, one of the first things he did was yank Kimmich early from a match last year, which showed that Tuchel was going to take a different approach. And normally, this is the kind of thing that could wake a player up or potentially give the player some incentive to know that things have to change. But I'm not sure Kimmich realized or even thinks that there are things that are necessarily going to have to change with this game. And I don't know the conversations between Tuchel and Kimmich, but it doesn't appear that they've been articulated because Kimmich has continued to play as Kimmich does. He's done the same things. Uh, he's had some of the same strengths, some of the same areas for improvement, and not much has changed. But what we have seen is Tuchel... <laughs> It does not seem to be overly thrilled with either Kimmich or his midfield partner, Leon Goretzka. Although you could argue that Tuchel has kind of turned the corner on Goretzka a little bit, given how well Goretzka has played. But either way, it's conceivable that Tuchel could be looking to replace both guys. And where that brings us to is Kimmich. Recently, he's been linked to FC Barcelona, Real Madrid, Liverpool, Manchester City, all of the normal names that you would he you would expect to hear linked to Kimmich. But this week, we saw Manchester United linked to Kimmich. So it's not shocking. Manchester United is linked to just about everyone who is out there on the market. But what this does tell me is that the word is spreading that Kimmich is available. And I don't really know how to feel about that, to be honest with you. Uh, I like Kimmich's game. I think he still can be a... Listen, I think he can still be a great player for Bayern Munich for years to come. I think he's a leader. I think he can play the six. He could play the eight. He can play right back, obviously. I'd like to see him stay at the six and refine those parts of his game, become a little bit more press resistant. Some of those types of things, maybe be a little bit more conservative with his pushing forward. Those are all things I would like to see out of him and things I think he can do. I don't know that Kimmich and Thomas Tuchel are aligned on anything. I don't know that there's really uh, a fondness there from Kimmich toward Tuchel and, and vice versa. So I think the coach player dynamic is really at the heart of what is going on with Kimmich. Uh, he he has been a player who I thought the fan base would always rally to support and that would really embody what Bayern Munich is all about for the next generation. I mean, we're seeing the end of Thomas Muller and Manuel Neuer. Like they're getting closer and closer, even though they're just slowly inching that way toward the end. Neuer is still an untouchable figure at goal. Muller has been essentially replaced, but... Every time he gets on the field, he pretty much shows that he belongs to be out there still. And as I've stated a million times, he's got a lot to offer Bayern Munich, but it's a matter of whether Tuchel wants to take it. And right now, Tuchel seems to be making up his mind on players. And I really do think that Tuchel's looking to reform the roster and his vision, which if you go back through Hansi Flick and all of the the nonsense that happened between Brazo and Hansi Flick about the roster vision and who should have more say and who should have the final say. All of that caused Flick to leave. Then we had Julian Nagelsmann come in. He had more of a working relationship with Brazo. And I think that was by design because Brazo was 
I think, on thin ice at that point. When the club had to essentially make a decision between Flick and Brazo, they chose Brazo, knowing Flick was probably going to resign. So in a nutshell, you had this evolution of how Bayern Munich was going to think and act when it came to roster building. So Brazo worked more closely with Nagelsmann. We started to see Nagelsmann-type transfers and Nagelsmann-type rumors, players that would fit into a system that Nagelsmann would want to run. But then Nagelsmann wore out his welcome with some odd decision-making, some very questionable coaching at times. But even when he started to figure things out, it just didn't happen quick enough. And then he went on an ill-fated vacation. Lesson learned for anyone at Bayern Munich, do not go skiing anytime during the season. Bad things happen. Manuel Neuer broke his leg. Julian Nagelsmann got sacked. So with Nagelsmann out of the picture, we now had this next evolution of Thomas Tuchel coming in and Literally within a few weeks, really, the front office was blown up and Tuchel was left to, to really manage the transfer window with the help of some people like Uli Honus, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, and some other transfer experts associated with the club, Marco Nepp, the technical director, being among them. But Tuchel was really a driving force there. He was working hands-on to go get players, to talk to players. We know that he talked to Declan Rice and Harry Kane. Tuchel became this central figure. Now, as things again evolved, we saw Christoph Freund hired as the sporting director. We saw more of that shift now go back to the front office, but Tuchel still has a big say, and you can still see his influence. And why we're talking so much about this is because this Kimmich situation really does seem like maybe more than ever that he could be sold during the summer. Now, I don't think anyone is naive is as naive to think that he'll be sold in January. I mean, that's just not going to happen. I mean, Bayern Munich needs depth in their midfield. Kimmich is a starter. No matter what happens, it's not happening in January. But come summertime, there's going to be some interesting situations. Kimmich and Gretzka chief among them. You could also look at Serge Gnabry, Leroy Sané, Alfonso Davies, Kingsley Coman even potentially. Depending on how things shake out in the coming months, how Tuchel uses players, this could be a really crazy summer and one that could really leave the roster in upheaval. Now, I know one of the sentiments out there is every time we hear about roster upheaval, it never happens. And I tend to agree with that. I don't think it's going to be as widespread. But what happens over the next few weeks and months with Tuchel and how he performs as coach is probably going to have a big say on what happens with the roster next season. I don't necessarily agree with Tuchel having this much say. And I know that how this all happened really stemmed from the sacking of Oliver Kahn and Brazo at the end of last season and how that played out. It just left this void that Tuchel, despite what he says publicly, I'm sure was more than happy to jump in and fill. So when you have that and you have this coach who clearly, he just doesn't like some of the players on the roster. And I don't know about personally, and I don't care about it, but you could tell as players, he prefers different characteristics and traits for some of the players at positions he has in the roster. So Thomas Muller, Joshua Kimmich, Matthijs De Ligt, Leon Goretzka. Those are all players who conceivably, in terms of playing time, could be left on the outside looking in next season. De Ligt is a crazy story in and of himself because now it seems like he could be on the move again. And for such a good young player, a leader on the back line, it, it's driving me crazy that Bayern Munich is even contemplating this. But I'll touch on that in just a second. But Back to Kimmich, now that we know that there is this market out there for him, 
and that there are clubs, including ones that will definitely pay a substantial fee. It wouldn't shock me if he starts to entertain these things a little bit more seriously. And and unless Tuchel really starts to back him, I think Kimmich is so prideful and has so much belief in himself and honestly has this fire that pushes him that if he feels like he is not being supported, that if he feels like the club is slipping out of his grasp, like this is his locker room now, whether he wears the armband or not, he is the de facto leader in that locker room. He is the one that rallies the veterans and the the youngsters alike. He is the bridge. And if he feels like he's lost that stronghold on the locker room, I do think Kimmich will begin to, to, to look very closely at some of these offers. Now, will it be Manchester United? I doubt it. But Manchester City, Liverpool, FC Barcelona, Real Madrid, those are all attractive options. And honestly, would all give Kimmich the opportunity to really stick it to Thomas Tuchel, which I'm sure in the end, it will be one of the driving factors. If Kimmich does decide to move on, he's going to want to go to a place where he can show Tuchel what he's missing. And I, I think that's just the kind of player and person that Kimmich is. He's going to be internally driven by things like that. As for Matthijs De Ligt, you know, we saw stories this week about Arsenal being interested in him. I'm like kind of really stunned and disturbed by this because I, I still think at his best and when healthy, Delict is better than Upamakano and Kim Min Jae. Now, Upamakano has made some really great strides. And aside of a couple of really high profile mess ups last year, Upamakano was really good. And, and I think Delict and Upamakano together is a really, really talented duo. When you throw Kim Min Jae into the mix, that adds a third, very quality depth player to have in the center back rotation. And rotation is the key word for me. I'd love to see the three players be able to work together, rotate in hopes of staying healthy and be able to seamlessly kind of work in any of those two positions where you could have any of the combinations in there. I think that's where Bayern Munich should be going, what they should be doing. Tuchel has not shown any inclination to wanting to do that. He wants to ride Upa Makano and Kim Min Jae. And we're, see we're seeing at times that that heavy mileage on those two players, particularly Kim and Jay toward the end of the, the Hinrunde, they've struggled for periods. And, and, and Upa Makano had a very, very strong first half of the season. He had a couple of down moments, but nothing crazy to where you would have any doubt about his ability. Kim and Jay had some very up and down games. And I think he's a very quality player. Even he recently admitted he's still adjusting to life in Germany and that he is wasn't totally thrilled with his first half of the season. And, and he even went as far as to say he's scared that when he leaves for international duty that he could lose his starting gig because he knows how good Matthijs Delict is and how good Upa Meccano is. And he knows the situation. The thing with Tuchel is when it comes to a player like Delict, much like Kimmich or Thomas Muller, is Tuchel willing to do what's best for the team or is he literally just going to go with what he wants to do, whether it works out or not. And I think the way he handled the center backs when Delict was healthy showed us a lot of what he is planning to do and how he views Delict. Now, one of the crazy things that that we read over the course of the Hinrunda was that Tuchel doesn't like Delict's passing, which is insane because, I, listen, I don't know that Delict is uh, Tiago out there, but I thought he's very solid for center back passing his leadership qualities on the back line and organization. The team just seems to function better when he's out there. 
he is the vocal part of that unit that Dio Upamakano and Kim and Jay are just not. For all the great qualities that both those players are, they're just not the most vocal players. They're not necessarily leaders back there. And I think Matthijs Delic plays a very key role in keeping that whole back line organized, especially when you think about having Alfonso Davies and Nusar Mizrahi as, as outside backs. They tend to get lost in the game. They tend to lose positioning. They tend to get too far upfield. You need someone who's going to help try to keep them organized, someone who's going to be able to provide the coverage when they get lost, which happens quite frequently. And I think Delict is excellent at doing that. Where he fits in when he comes back from injury as we start the Rook Runda, I don't know. And that's what that's what troubles me a little bit. I don't like the situation with Delict, just like I don't like the situation with Kimmich or even Thomas Muller at this stage. I don't like how Tuchel's treating some of these players who have been established, who have performed. And I think what happens when you do this with players like that, you always run the risk of losing the locker room. So what has Tuchel done? Knowing that there is this gap going on between him and certain players, he has started to align with other big-name players in that locker room. Harry Kane, Leroy Sané. He has tried to get them essentially on his side. And I don't know that the players in Bayern's locker room are going to be as naive as to think that that's not calculated. Now, listen, every manager would want to link up with Kane because Kane is Kane, right? Sané has had an excellent season, and you could see how that partnership with Kane has really blossomed, and those two have played great together. Sané definitely ticked off a bit at the end of the Hinrunda. Wear and tear is one of his biggest enemies, and I think he was hit with a lot of that. Again, it's a situation where had Tuchel really rotated a little more, he probably could have preserved Leroy Sané, but he didn't. He has ridden Sané into the ground, and with a player like Sané, this is where you could start to see him pick up nicks and injuries and things like that, you, and you don't want that because he's been that good. But with Tuchel trying to essentially align with those players, it's not going to create a divide. It's going to create doubt about the coach, in my mind. You've seen we've seen this before in any sport you've seen coaches take different tactics some are players coaches some are disciplinarians some seek to unite a locker room some seek to drive factions they want that division because they want to have the friction there for competition the problem is if you do that you run a big risk and alienating some of those more high profile players i think still to this day is one of the biggest risks that Tuchel is taking with this team and if he doesn't start to warm up to the idea of rotating a little bit more and using the depth that he actually has on the roster, I think it's really going to hurt the team in the Rook Ronda. I think it's going to be one of the primary factors why they can't match up with teams like Manchester City and Real Madrid. So when it comes to Kimmich and Delict, I would like to see the club hang on to both of them. I honestly am starting to lean toward seeing Delict go because I think he's probably, if Tuchel doesn't change the way that Delict has been handled, I think the Ligt is going to want to leave. He's 24. He is a top flight defender, deserves to be starting somewhere. Tuchel needs to figure a way to make that work. And with Kimmich, I think it's going to be a battle of egos. And we'll see who wins that. Then again, this could all be a moot point because if Tuchel does not get the team where it needs to be in the second half of the season, if they experience one of those slides like we saw the team experience under Julian Nagelsmann, it really could put Tuchel's job at risk. And I don't think that Bayern Munich is ready to pull the trigger on firing Tuchel anytime soon. 
But if he underperforms, if the team really descends into you know chaos in the locker room, I think we could start to see some of that. And you can't discount the fact <laughs> that Julian Nagelsmann lost control of his locker room last year. The fight, the near fight between Nagelsmann and Sadio Mane, the actual fight that occurred later between Sadio Mane and Leroy Sané, there was definitely a lot going on in the locker room prior to Tuchel taking over. And obviously, when Tuchel took over, it, it, it probably quelled things a little bit because everyone's always a little bit uneasy when a new manager takes over. But either way, I think Tuchel is running that risk of, of really not just having to worry about the results on the field, but keeping control of that locker room. And if he continues to alienate those veterans experienced players and if he tries to create division by aligning himself with other players i'm just not so sure it's going to work out for him uh we're going to take a quick break right here and then we're going to come back we want to talk about some interesting news regarding the german national team which i'm still shaking my head if you had doubts about julian nagelsmann well man you are probably feeling pretty good about yourselves uh we'll be right back Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. This is Chuck Smith. Uh, we hit on the latest transfer rumors regarding Joshua Kimmich and Matthijs Delict there in that first segment, along with some talk about the locker room and what's going on there. But if you're paying attention to anything over this break, you might have seen some stories about the German national team. And Julian Nagelsmann, what is this guy doing? Now, the one fear I had about Nagelsmann taking over the German national team is that he would not be able to control his tinkering. This guy is out of control with it. He absolutely cannot contain himself. And now it seems like he's delving back into that. Of course, we saw Kai Havertz as an attacking left back, which he has admitted probably didn't work, although he said it had good results. I, I don't know how anyone could have watched that and said, okay, this is great. Uh, so he's going to continue to tinker. And what we know now is that Tony Kroos, there's been a conversation with Nagelsmann. Perhaps Kroos will be welcomed back to the German national team. Maybe not. We don't know what direction Nagelsmann is going to go. We've seen a lot of pundits chime in on it. Some are in favor of it just because Kroos is he's that good of a player. Uh, let's be honest. Like It's not as if his play on the field has dropped or his tactical ability he's lost a step for sure as he's gotten older but when he got caught up in the mix with yogi love and all of that the one injustice that happened is when yogi love decided to to get rid of all the veterans and we're talking about thomas muller matt's hummels jerome boatang at a time where they didn't necessarily need to be cut from the national team he kept tony crows who maybe more than anyone embodied that lethargic, apathetic style of play that had plagued Yogi Love uh, at twenty eight at the twenty eighteen World Cup and some of the the games that they had prior to that and after that, it, it really was not a situation where I mean Kroos was the standout player that that couldn't be touched. He was just as much a part of that mix that Yogi Love was trying to get rid of as Muller, Boateng, and Hummels. Now, as we know, with how that situation played out. The young players weren't ready to step up. Kroos was kind of left on his own and continued to scuffle away until Yogi Love finally had to recall some players, uh, including Thomas Muller. And at that point, uh, when Yogi Love was let go, Tony Kroos was just about done with Germany. So uh, the fact that now this idea is being brought back tells me a couple of things. 
tells me that Germany is in pure panic mode right now. And, and maybe they should be. They're hosting the Euros. They don't have a set team at all. Julian Nagelsmann is still feeling things out. And in the process of while he's trying to learn about the personnel and understand their strengths and weaknesses, he's tinkering away and doing, I don't want to say stupid, but very questionable things like using Kai Havertz as a left back. So bringing Kroos back, it would definitely signify a couple of things to me. It would say that one, Nagelsmann, if you want to look at it on the surface, wants some veteran depth in the midfield, someone who can come in and dictate pace and control play. That is the type of thing that Kroos could probably do on a limited basis. Uh, I don't know that he's ready to be a starter again for the national team, but what do I, you know, seriously, I mean, Nagelsmann seems to be contemplating it. But it also shows that there might not be a level of confidence in Yashua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka at this point. And you might notice I'm leaving out Okai Gundogan, and that's because another report is stating that Nagelsmann might be toying with the idea of pushing up Gundogan into the 10 role, which depending on what formation is being used and with Nagelsmann, you literally cannot tell day to day. And he probably doesn't know day to day that would put players like Thomas Muller, uh, potentially Marco Royce, but more importantly, Florian Verts and Jamal Musiala in a very weird position. How does Julian Nagelsmann make all those things work? Uh, Thomas Muller almost assuredly is not going to play a key role at the Euros. I'm sure he will be a bench guy. But for Verts, who has had a sensational Bundesliga season, but who has been pretty abysmal for Germany, it puts him in a very odd spot. As for Musiala, uh, yeah, is not quite up to where he was prior to last year's World Cup. And it sounds weird to say that, but whatever happened there, it has affected him mentally, I believe. And I don't think he's played as confidently. He's been, he's, it's weird. It, 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 I don't believe he's as confident, but I believe he's become more reckless, which is weird because usually when you associate recklessness with anything in football, it's that a player is so confident in his own abilities, he doesn't believe he can be stopped. Musiala, I just think, has had some reckless decision-making, and he has lost his confidence in front of goal. So I don't know how bringing Tony Kroos is going to help that. I don't know how moving Ilkay Gundogan to the 10 is going to help that. Now, like we talked about with Nagelsmann, he could really go in any direction. It's not as if he's married to a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3. We could see him use a 3-4-3 or even a 3-4-2-1. Or even a three-five-two. It's it's really insane the amount of ways that Nagelsmann can go. And I think when he sees having access to this vast pool of players, his mind almost can't handle it because there's so many possibilities in terms of how players could be used, what formation they might work best in. I don't know that he can really help himself from continuing to tinker away. And this is a key period for Germany where he should really be figuring out what his lineup is, what formation he's going to use. But he's still trying to figure out things in terms of sorting through what players he wants and how they would be used. It's just too much information for the guy to process, I think, because he's so creative. He's got so many ideas. It's just overwhelmed him, I believe. And, and this is one of the things I know a lot of people were worried about on a short-term basis, only having two weeks to work with players, then playing games, then assessing it, and then needing to reformulate things. Nagelsmann is definitely struggling with this. And this is one of the things 
where I think fans are going to really have tempered expectations because if you're watching him and you're seeing what he's doing, I mean, you can see that this is this is him throwing things at the wall to see what sticks because he can. Is that going to get the team prepared for the Euros? I, I don't think so. And talking about using Gunduan as a 10, and, and I'm not even anti-Gunduan. I, I think it's actually probably time to move on from him and make him a bench player like Thomas Muller. But if you're going to use him, I don't know that using him as a 10, even though he's had some success there in his careers when he was at Man City, I don't know if that's the best role for him. Uh, I, at this point, I view him more of an eight, but honestly, I, I would prefer to see him not play at all in the starting lineup. I think that for Nagelsmann to really turn this around, he's got to flip the script a little bit and use those veterans like Muller and Gunduan and maybe even Kroos if he comes back as players that can come in and provide stability or that can be steady or if someone's struggling, step in. This is a very difficult thing for Nagelsmann to manage. And I think he's getting swallowed up in the process. It would surely help if Florian Wirtz would have come in and, and at any point playing for the national team had really, really usurped a position or even established himself, but he just hasn't done it. And and it's crazy to think because he's been so good in the Bundesliga. And if you see him play, you can see how electric he is and how creative he is. It just has not translated to Germany. It's almost as if he can't get comfortable there. But why? Why can't anyone unlock what he can do for Germany? And it's a short sample size with Julian Nagelsmann, admittedly, but he has not been able to get that out of Wurz. Hansi Flick clearly could not get it out of Wurz, which was crazy to me. But either way, you need Verts, you need Musiali, and you need those two in particular. If you're going to make a serious run at the Euros, though, those two have to be key players. You're going to need Leroy Sané to, to not be the Leroy Sané we saw at the end of the Hinrunda, where you, you need to see the one that was at the beginning. You need Kimmich and Goretzka functioning as a tandem in the midfield, using all of that relationship building that they've done over the years to really account for something on the national team level. And you're probably not going to see that. I think the patchwork approach that Nagelsmann is taking is really going to have adverse effects at the Euros. I, I think Germany right now is set up for another early flame out. I think what he's doing right now with Gundogan is going to affect those youngsters. I think what he's doing with Kroos could have some serious effects on Kimmich and Goretzka among the other midfielders. It's a tough spot, and I don't know. I don't know what Nagelsmann's going to do. I can't predict it. But if any of this stuff is true, I think it's a big, big problem, not just for Germany, but for as a national team. But as for those executives running the show here, because they have tried now, they have moved from Yogi Love to Hansi Flick, which was a smooth and natural transition in some ways. It failed miserably. Now you you got desperate. You had to get the best available German coach. You got Julian Nagelsmann, but he really is not equipped for something like this. If they flame out at the Euros, it's going to be it's going to be a situation where you almost have to nuke the whole system and start over. And unfortunately, like you've been scuffling now for almost a decade. Uh, I mean, if you want to look at it, I mean, 2017 they won the Confederations Cup. There was some solid play after that. We're going on probably seven years, 
And you could say, like, going back, if you don't want to count the Confederations Cup because that was a lightning in the bottle with a generation of players who looked like they were going to be great, but then, I don't know, just were not. Uh, you could go back to 2014 and you talk about winning the World Cup and how that generation of players fulfilled their destiny, so to speak. It's been that long. So Germany needs to figure it out. Julian Nagelsmann needs to figure it out. Otherwise, this is going to be a very sad summer, uh, potentially for both Bayern Munich and Germany. Uh, the final thing I'm going to hit on this week is I'm back to watching some shows. And if you've been reading the weekend warm-up column, you've seen me uh, going through Fargo, the latest season of Fargo. And I'll, I'll sum up where I'm at with that. Uh, really good so far. The acting, fantastic. Storyline, really, really good. Uh, I have been a big fan of the Fargo anthology series. Of course, I liked the movie by the Coen brothers back in the day. It was really, really good. But, um, you know, the purpose of the tv series by fx is to take the the theme and the atmosphere and the craziness and weirdness of that fargo universe from the movie and apply it to different settings in north dakota minnesota and different situations none of which are tied together or related and they the writers for each season do just a very very good job very seamless they work in different time periods this most recent one uh, was set just a couple of years ago, which if you remember the climate at the time, there was a lot going on. So it was a, just about pre-COVID and uh, <laughs> it uh, it definitely um, it, it definitely it hits on some of those things. But uh, just, you know, John Hamm has been terrific in it uh, as really the primary villain. But there's so many good actors that have done such a good job. I, I highly recommend checking out Fargo and you don't need to have watched the first four seasons that's the great thing it's an anthology series each season is really its own series they just all fall under the banner of Fargo it's like true detective on HBO where there's a common kind of theme to each season there is uh, a guarantee of big name actors being involved but uh, it's just a different plot different characters and all of that and while I'm touching on true detective there uh you know that has been you know two of the three seasons they've had there extremely extremely good uh second season with colin farrell was unfortunately a terrible story which uh that honestly killed that 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 season uh the other two seasons first and third are, were awesome though they were uh terrific that second one though it was they had good actors but it was just a terrible storyline and that's how just how important the writing is to these things you can't just throw anything down uh in a script and hope it works out storyline's got to be deep it's got to be complex it's got to have good dialogue and uh you know just didn't work out for true detective in season two but fargo is pretty much money every season they put out the other entertainment related thing that i've been doing recently and i'm like so far behind this but I realized at some point I had to make my way through the Marvel comic series. So I, I had to go through and, you know, with Disney plus it does make it easier. So I've been doing a lot of late night viewing because I just don't have time to, to sit around and, and, and watch uh, movies or even really TV shows. So all of this viewing that I do, it's always at the end uh, of my day. So sometimes it might take me two or three days to watch a movie, but I've been silently working on this in the background because I feel like it was so important <laughs> pop culture wise that I should give it a try and under and, and, and get to 
to see all of these movies in their entirety. Uh, now, confessing this, I was as a kid, I was really into comic books, uh, which is kind of a weird dichotomy because my whole life was really about sports. But in my downtime, I uh, I definitely enjoyed reading comic books, but uh, I didn't stick with it through you know the large part of my life. As a kid, I read up until probably around 11 or 12 and then took a break when I was early in my working career. Marvel had put out a series called The Ultimates, which was a refreshed version of the storylines, basically a reboot. And you could see how some of the Ultimate Universe that they created, some of this, those storylines really carried into these Marvel movies, maybe more so than even the original uh, storylines and plots and all that. And the characters were definitely modeled on the Ultimates line. So if you're kind of on that verge, if you like those Marvel movies, but you wanted to read more about them, there are, for lack of a better word, two volumes of uh, the comic book called The Ultimates that I would read uh, if you like the Marvel movies. Um, the Ultimate Universe had The Ultimates, which was kind of the new... Um, verbiage for the Avengers. And then there was like ultimate Spider-Man, ultimate X-Men. And those were all really good for a while, but like any reboot, once the original creators on all of those different comic books left, it, it fell off the face of the earth. So like volume three of the ultimates was pretty terrible in my mind. Uh, I still read it, but it wasn't good. And uh, it was disappointing in fact. Uh, so it's very difficult in anything, whether it's a movie, a TV show, or a book, or anything, that when someone else takes over the subject matter, it can always go in the tank. And that's sort of what happened with the Ultimate Universe there. And it eventually, I believe, died off. I don't know if Marvel even still carries some of those titles. But if you like the Avengers and all that stuff, check out the two volumes of the Ultimates by Marvel Comics. Uh, you will, I think, enjoy this. But anyway, back to the original point here. Made it through quite a few of these movies so far, so I'll give you a quick rundown of my grades. I'm not going to go in-depth on them because these are freaking way old, like a decade, some of them. Captain, Event Captain America, the first Avenger, gave that a solid four out of five. Captain Marvel, four out of five. Iron Man, five out of five. Incredible Hulk, four out of five. Iron Man 2, four out of five. Thor, four and a half out of five. Avengers five out of five. So did enjoy all of those. I will be working through my next phase. Um, it was very interesting. Some of the takes on the characters, because like I said, they did really uh, go back to those ultimate line of uh, comic books and take like Thor was absolutely uh, even like how he looked and everything was based on that. Uh, and, and similarly with like uh, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers, Captain America, all of those storylines really, uh, they, they echoed that ultimates line. So I think without the ultimates, uh, none of this really would have been possible. And it, that was such a craze in the comic community at the time, I think. And again, like I'm not super, super into it, but I did read those two volumes and I think it was a couple of the volumes of the X-Men, uh, but whatever. Um, you know, it, it, you know, there were some people that hated them because they were, you know, the people that love the classic storylines and all of that and the, the original universe and all respect to those people. I just needed something new to try and refresh my interest. And to be honest, at that point, I want to say it was around 2000, 2001, 2002, maybe, um, you know, like, dude, listen, I was early in my working career. I was sharing an office with a dude like we like it was weird. It was a small office. It was two of us. They crammed us in there. So we were like right on top of each other. 
so he, like eventually like you know your work and he was he was very good at what he did and i'd like to think i was too but we worked really hard so um you know you get a lot of downtime when you beat all your deadlines and your projects so uh you know you're looking for things to do and that it caught my eye when marvel redid it and i'm glad i actually read those before i watched the the marvel movies because it did definitely give me a background on that so making my way through those if you care about that great if you don't then oh well you just stuck hearing me yammer about it for two minutes uh while i recap it every week so i hope you guys have enjoyed the holiday break i hope you've uh found things to do during your winter pause <laughs> Uh, but keep checking BFW. We're still putting out our normal schedule. So all the latest and greatest Bayern news continues to drop and we're covering it all. Of course, when games start back up, we'll be right back in the mix with that as well. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our tweetmeister, Tom Adams, at TommyAdams71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWIN. And then you can get Siler at CYL3R and get all of our great writers and podcasters at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Like I said, Everybody's doing a, a massive job keeping the schedule up, keeping the site active and giving you things to read. So check us out, support us. We always appreciate that and have a couple of beers on me. I'll be back next week with the next edition of this and we will see you next time.